Well, now I want to introduce this morning's special guest reader. This year, the United Methodist Church celebrates the 25th anniversary of the creation of the Order of Deacons. Now, for many years in the United Methodist Church, deacon was just another step on the way to becoming an elder, to becoming a pastor in the church. But 25 years ago, in 1996, the United Methodist Church recognized that there are many people in our church family who are called to be set aside in ministry, who are called to a life of full-time ministry and service, but who aren't called to be pastors of congregations. In 1996, the United Methodist Church decided that instead of being a stepping stone on the way to something else, deacon would now be recognized as a way of being in ministry, a way of being in service, an ordained order of ministry all of its own. In 1996, the order of deacons, the permanent deacon position in the church was created. Deacons are ordained to a ministry of word, service, justice, and compassion. We are so very grateful for our own deacon, Reverend Christy Miller-White. Deacons are specialists and they do all sorts of different things in the church. Reverend Christy specializes in ministry with youth and with young people and children. And over the next several weeks, we're going to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the creation of the Order of Deacons by introducing you to many of the other deacons who serve the United Methodist Church here in Michigan. Each Sunday, we're going to invite another deacon to share a little bit about their ministry, to introduce themselves to you, and to share God's word as we find it in Scripture. This morning, I'm pleased and excited to invite our friend, the Reverend Paul Perez, to share a little bit about his ministry and then to share with us a scripture reading from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Greetings, Court Street. I'm Reverend Paul Perez, an ordained deacon in the Michigan Conference of the United Methodist Church. I currently serve on conference staff as Director of Connectional Ministries. In that role, I lead the conference in missional vision and strategy and supervise our creative conference staff who focus on mission, justice, multicultural vibrancy, ministry at the Latinx community, and ministry with young people. Over the years, I've also served congregations in the areas of youth ministry, adult faith formation, and community ministries, and served as founding executive director of Justice for Our Neighbors Southeastern Michigan, an immigration legal aid clinic. I've come to understand my call as a deacon to be focused on starting new ministries, which no one congregation could do on their own, and that respond to the deep need and hurt in our communities. I'm thankful for the invitation to join you in your worship and have been asked to read this scripture from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It reads, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I took a week off the week after Easter. I was ready for a little vacation. I was ready to rest and catch my breath after all of the busyness of Holy Week. I didn't have very much planned for my week of vacation. I decided that I was going to have a staycation. 
And I was really looking forward to just hanging around the house all week without very much to do at all. And the first morning of my vacation after Easter Sunday on that Monday, I got out of bed. I slept in a little bit and then I went down to the kitchen and I made myself a nice breakfast. And then I had a beautiful slow morning just eating breakfast and reading the news from cover to cover. But then just as I was finishing breakfast, I got a text message. It was a message from the chair of a committee that I serve on. And the chair of the committee had a question that he was hoping I could answer. And sitting there at the table with what was left of my breakfast in front of me and what was left of my week of vacation before me, I wrestled with the decision that I had to make in that moment. Do I answer this text message and do a little bit of work on the very first morning of the very first day of my vacation? Or do I just leave it sit? Do I let it go unanswered and let it just hang out for a week until I was ready to go back to work? Well, finally, I decided that it would be rude. I didn't want to leave the committee chair hanging for an entire week waiting for me to get back to him. And so I picked up my phone and I started typing out an answer to his question. But as I was typing the answer to that question, it just got longer and longer. It turned out that it was a fairly involved sort of an answer to the question that he had asked. And at some point, I realized that this message was really more of an email than a text. And so I got out my computer and I opened up my email and I typed out a long email response to the question that he had asked me and I clicked send. And after I clicked send on that email, I noticed that there were three or four other emails sitting in my inbox waiting for me to, to get around to them. I looked at those three or four emails and I decided, well, as long as I've got my computer out and as long as I'm getting a little bit of work done today, I might as well respond to those messages too and not just have them hanging over my head for the rest of vacation. Let's get this done so that I can truly relax for the rest of the week. And so I started working my way through those emails in my inbox. And the first email required me to go to a couple of websites and look up some information to help somebody out. And then the second email required me to print out a form and fill it out and drop it in the mail. And then the third email required me to make some phone calls, but the people I called weren't available, so I had to leave messages. And by the time I got through with those three or four emails that were sitting in my inbox, three or four more emails had landed on top of them. And because I was on a roll, I just kept going. I just kept answering emails and responding to messages and doing little bits of this and that until suddenly I looked up and discovered that seven hours of the day had passed. Without meaning to, almost by accident, I had already worked almost a full day on my very first day of vacation. And I wish I could say that I learned my lesson. I wish I could say that that was the end of the work that I did that week of vacation. But the truth is, I ended up working more days than I didn't work during that week of vacation. That week I discovered what a lot of other people have discovered in the last year. I discovered that it is hard to take time off when you can't actually take off. It's hard to get away when you can't go away. It is so very hard to rest and relax and stop working when you are surrounded by all of your computers and text messages and devices and all of the things, all of the things that you use in order to get your job done. Now, ordinarily, I draw a hard and fast line between work and home, between the office and the place where I live and share time with my family. For many years, I've made a commitment to myself and to my family that I would rather stay at the office late than bring work home with me. Because when I'm at home with my family, I want to be present 
and available and truly with my family instead of dividing my attention between tasks and the people who I live with. But this last year of pandemic has obliterated that line that I've drawn between home and the office. Now I make phone calls in the kitchen. I write sermons in the living room. I send emails from the bedroom. And what I discovered that week when I tried to take a vacation is that it is so very hard to rest and relax when you're trying to rest and relax in the same place where you do your work. In the last year, a lot of people have discovered that it's hard to take a vacation, it's hard to rest, it's hard to catch your breath during a pandemic. And the truth is that the fact that we are right now feeling so overworked and underrested, so exhausted and stressed out, that's not really something new. That's just an intensification of something that was already a part of our lives before the pandemic happened. The truth is, we weren't very good at taking time off. We weren't very good at resting, even before the pandemic came. Americans in particular struggle and have struggled for many, many years with a culture of overwork and underrest. In the middle of 2019, before the pandemic started, a survey revealed that 51% of American workers hadn't taken a vacation, hadn't gone on a vacation in more than a year. This was before the pandemic happened and travel was restricted. Other studies show that among those American workers who get paid holidays and paid vacation days, something like 40% of us fail to take the full amount of vacation time that we're entitled to each year. And people give lots of answers to the question, why don't you take all of the vacation time that's available to you? A lot of people say, well, I feel obligated to my employer and I feel guilty when I take time off. Other people say taking time off makes me feel stressed out and anxious. I'm worried that I'm going to fall behind at work. I'm worried that I'm going to be passed over for promotions. I'm worried that I might even lose my job if I take time off. The truth is, for a long time, Americans in particular have struggled, struggled to pause our work, struggled to rest from our labor, struggled to give ourselves permission to catch our breath. And the really sad reality is that some of the worst offenders are the pastors who lead our churches. A study a few years ago revealed that the average pastor, 90% of pastors, work somewhere between 55 and 70 hours a week. And because most pastors take only one day off each week, even, even if they take that much, the average American pastor has 50 fewer days of rest each year than the average American worker. And that's in a country where the average worker takes less rest and vacation than workers in other advanced economies all around the world. American pastors are burned out, stressed out, and a lot of it is only our own fault. There are a lot of pastors who take pride in never taking a day off at all. I once met a pastor who told me that he had gone seven years, seven entire years of pastoring, seven years of working and serving a congregation since his last day off. I've heard of other pastors who go 15 years, 30 years, 35 years without taking a single day of rest from the labors that God has given us. And that's sad and that's ironic and maybe even surprising given that those very same pastors each Sunday will stand in a pulpit and preach about a God who not only gives us permission to rest, but who positively commands us to rest. In today's scripture reading, we have a passage from the Old Testament book of Exodus. 
And the book of Exodus tells the story of the things that happened when God decided to set the Israelites free from slavery in the land of Egypt. At the very beginning of the book of Exodus, we learn that the Israelites were struggling and suffering in bondage in Egypt. The main reason that they were suffering, the main source of their pain and their misery was the fact that their Egyptian masters were working them to the bone. They were forced to work all day long, day after day, without ever receiving a pause, without ever being given permission to take a rest. And finally, all of that overworking caused them to cry out to God. And God heard their cries. And God decided to set them free from their bondage and their slavery in the land of Egypt. God called a man named Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. God defeated Pharaoh and all of Pharaoh's armies. God parted the waters before the people and God led them out to freedom in the wilderness. And then God brought the people to a place called Sinai, to a place where there was a mountain. The people set up camp at the bottom of the mountain and Moses went up to the top of the mountain to have a conversation with God. When Moses went up the mountain, the Israelites, the people at the bottom of the mountain, saw lightning and heard thunder. They saw a thick cloud descend upon the top of the mountain and it hid Moses from their sight. And then they heard the blast of a heavenly trumpet. And they knew that something significant, something momentous was happening there at the top of the mountain. And up there at the top of the mountain, hidden by the cloud, God spoke to Moses. And God said, Moses, I am going to lead you and the Israelites into a land where you can truly be free. I'm going to take you to a land that will be a land of your own, where you will not be oppressed and you will not live in bondage to any other people. And in that land, God said, I'm going to shape you. I'm going to make you into a people unlike any other people in all the earth. I'm going to teach you a new way of living so that you will be a holy people set apart, so that you will be a shining light to all the nations, so that you will teach the world that there is a better way of living and caring and loving one another. And here is how I want you to live when you enter into that new land, God said. And then God started listing commandments. God started giving Moses the commandments that we know now as the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Did you learn them in Sunday school? Did you learn them in confirmation? How many of the Ten Commandments can you remember off the top of your head? The first commandment that God gave to Moses was this. I am the Lord your God who led you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And then God said, you shall not make idols for yourselves or worship anything that was made with human hands. And then God said, you shall not use my name to serve your own selfish purposes. Those are the first three commandments that God spoke to Moses there at the top of the mountain. And then God gave Moses another commandment. Before God gave Moses the commandment about murder, before God spoke the commandment about adultery, before God spoke about caring for your mother and father, before God spoke about coveting and stealing from one another, God gave Moses this commandment. Six days shall you labor. You have six days to do all of your work. And then on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, you shall not labor. On the seventh day, you will take a break and you will rest from your work. For I created the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them in six days, God says. 
And then on the seventh day, I rested. And if I can take a day off, then you can take a day off too. Now, God didn't actually say those last words. I added those to what God says to Moses, but I don't really think God would mind because those words are implied in everything else that God says to Moses. If I can take a day off, who are you to say that you are too important? Who are you to say that you are too essential to rest in the way that I am resting? Do you believe that you are the one who keeps the world spinning? Do you believe that you are the one who holds all creation together? If you take a day off, God says, I will continue to do all of the things that I do. I will keep the world spinning. I will hold creation together. The world will not fall apart if you take a day off, God says. But you might fall apart if you don't. In the next few weeks of this sermon series, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why we struggle so much to obey this commandment and to find rest and peace from our labors. And we're going to talk about some of the ways in which God sets us free to catch our breath and to rest and to pause and enjoy this world that God has made. I hope that by the time we reach the end of this series, you will understand, you will have learned that the overwork we struggle with, this culture of constantly working and never resting, is just another iteration, just a new expression of the same oppression that the Israelites faced in the land of Egypt. I hope that by the time we reach the end of this series, you will have found a way to let go of some of the guilt and the anxiety that we feel when we even think about taking a day off and catching our breath. And most of all, by the time we reach the end of this series, I hope that you will have come to believe that God is real, that God is faithful, that God keeps the world spinning, that God binds all creation together, that God will continue to do that even if we take a day off every now and then. And so pausing from our labors, taking a moment to rest, taking a moment to enjoy this world that God has made is not just an okay thing to do. It is a good and a godly and a sacred thing to do. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would set us free from the guilt we feel when we're not working. We pray that you would set us free from the anxiety we feel when we contemplate taking a day off. God, we pray that you would set us free the way you led the Israelites out of bondage in the land of Egypt. God, teach us how to experience our lives. Teach us how to experience our time. Teach us how to experience this world as a gift to be received and not an obligation to be fulfilled. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.